Well, good morning, everyone. It is uh, 10 o'clock, and uh, here at St. Patrick Parish in, in Kansas City, uh, where I'm at, there are there are no bells to remind me that it is, in fact, uh, 10 o'clock, uh, because it is Good Friday. And if you uh, followed yesterday, uh, we had the joyful celebration of, of Holy Thursday, and during that uh, Mass, we, we have the, the beautiful singing of the, the glory to God that returns as, well, Lent is over and we've begun the sacred triduum. And after that Gloria in which all the bells of the church are rung and uh, there's much rejoicing, the instructions for the liturgy then tell us that the, the bells do not ring again until Easter. So it's a... Uh, Rather strange sort of quiet, I, I suppose, today here at uh, the parish, and that I'm I'm so used to hearing those those bells ringing every quarter hour and ringing the Angelus, and I even have them set to play some some songs on the uh, nine noon three six hours, and so there's a strange sort of quiet uh, today, and that's that's true in the churches liturgy as well. It's how we left things last night. Uh, if you remember, I, I mentioned how at the the end of the evening Mass of the Lord's Supper last night, the, uh, the liturgy does not have a dismissal. There is no end in a formal sort of way uh, to that liturgy. Rather, we transfer the Eucharist, symbolizing Jesus going out to the Garden of Gethsemane, and there we watch and pray and do as our Lord asked the apostles to do 2,000 years ago, to join him in his passion. Stay, watch, pray. Pray that you may not enter into the trial, the temptation. Of course, Jesus was asking his apostles to pray because what was about to happen would, of course, be the most trying thing that would ever happen for their faith. Now, Jesus had, of course, prepared his apostles for this. He had told them what would happen. Everything was coming to fulfillment. Lest we ever think that somehow that Jesus is overpowered on Good Friday, rather he clearly showed ahead of time that everything happened according to his permissive will. Jesus, of course, did not choose deliberately to make people torture him and ultimately kill him. He did not force anyone to deny him, as Peter did, or certainly to betray him, as Judas did. All the actors in the passion of our Lord are, are free in their actions. And yet Jesus foresaw what they would do, and he foresaw what we would do. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind on this Good Friday. Uh, as we unpack the liturgy today, we hear the, the Passion read from St. John, in which there are many references to the Jews. Well, lest, lest we have any uh, mistaken notions of who is to blame for the death of Jesus, uh, we are. Just as I said last night, that uh, time is a, a creature. It's something created by God. And the events of 2,000 years ago, the, the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the Paschal mystery, these events are able to be made present right now. 
And in a similar way, on this Good Friday, we recognize that our sins, 2,000 years later and sins yet to be committed, that is why Jesus died on this day 2,000 years ago. Our sins caused such great a price that Jesus willingly went to his cross on this day to pay the debt for all those sins. So much did he love us so that we might be able to be with him forever in heaven. What an amazing mystery, really, that we who offend God, sin, deny him, betray him, flee, fail to pray, fail in so many ways. God himself loved us so much that he would actually become one of us to save all of us. Caiaphas, the high priest who we hear today, famously said that it would be better for one man to die than the whole nation. Today, that prophecy made against his own full knowledge is, is fulfilled. Indeed, it was better, even today we can call good, that one man, God, Jesus Christ, the God-man, indeed did die so that all of us might live. From Adam and Eve, Abraham, Moses, David, all the prophets, all the patriarchs, all of us, everyone who ever will live, today is able to live forever because of what Jesus did on this day. And so sometimes people will ask, how can we call this day good, on which we commemorate ultimately the worst thing that ever happened? Today we commemorate that indeed our sins, our free action to reject God in countless ways over the centuries, we put Jesus to death. It is bad. It is beyond bad. It is incomprehensibly evil. And yet, because not what we did, but because of what Jesus did, we can call this day good. In English, we have this word good Friday. It uh, is probably uh, a derivation of God's Friday. Uh, in other languages, the, the word good uh, is not attached to this day. Uh, in Spanish, for instance, Viernes, Viernes Santo. It is Holy Friday, just like it's Holy Thursday, uh, Holy Saturday. Uh, but in English, there is this rather interesting word, good. So understood in uh, the light of what Jesus did, uh, happy Good Friday to all of you who are, are joining today. As I did yesterday and do during these days of the Sacred Triduum, I'd, I'd like to uh, look a little bit at the liturgy of this day. Uh, over these three days, which in Latin is triduum, tri, duum, uh, we, we in fact uh, carry out uh, liturgies that happen only once a year. And, and so that's a, a very beautiful thing, but it can also mean that if, if we don't study it, if we don't look at it, um, even if we participate every year, there, there might be some things that, that we miss. And so I uh, would like to today, this morning, 
uh, spend whatever time we need. Yesterday we went uh, about an hour, depends on your questions. And so feel free to to post your, your questions and I will happily get to those as they, they come up. And uh, I in basically outline today, I'm gonna go through the, the Liturgy of Good Friday. So uh, first of all, as I said yesterday, uh, there, there's more to the liturgy than just the Mass. Uh, yesterday we celebrated Mass in the evening. Uh, today we do not celebrate Mass. So Good Friday is uh, a day on which there is no Mass. Uh, there is liturgy, however, the solemn celebration or commemoration of the Passion of the Lord. But before we get to that liturgy, as I did yesterday, I will, I will point out another liturgy of this day, and that is the Liturgy of the Hours the breviary or the divine office. This is the, the prayers prayed every day by priests, religious who are bound to it, and also lay faithful who join in these prayers. It is the liturgy of this day. And the church encourages us that two of the hours of that day, the office of readings or matins and morning prayer or lauds, that uh, it would be appropriate to pray those prayers uh, communally, together, um, I, I loved uh, to, to join with this in ways that it's able to be done more solemnly and there's the full chanting of all this could take about three hours uh, done fully to celebrate the matins and lauds on this morning. In uh, times before the 1950s, these uh, offices would be anticipated the night before the day. And so they, they actually got the name tenebrae or darkness or shadows because they were done in the nighttime. Uh, because for events due to history, the Triduum liturgies were were celebrated not at the historical hours of evening on Thursday and afternoon on Friday, but they got pushed forward to the morning. Uh, in 1955, under Pius XII, these liturgies were uh, somewhat reformed, and at least um, the, the timing of them was uh, adjusted, so that last night we celebrated the Mass of the Lord's Supper in the evening, and today, the, the Liturgy of the Lord's Passion is to be celebrated, if possible, around 3 p.m., that being the historical hour at which Jesus likely died on the cross, depending upon uh, which of the four Gospels you're looking at. So the Liturgy of the Hours would be the uh, appropriate thing for this morning. And then this afternoon, uh, before we get to the, the Liturgy, the at least in in depending on which calendar and which gospels you're reading, Jesus would have been, uh, you know, tried before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, sometime during the night, uh, and then brought before Pilate um, and would have been condemned to death sometime in the morning and then would have been led out to Golgotha, Calvary, the place of the skull, uh, sometime likely to be hanging on the cross for three hours from noon until three. So although there's no liturgy, properly speaking, during these three hours, the tre ore, or the three hours, uh, has, has long been a, a source of popular devotion, popular piety, that, that people would come to the church during these three hours to, to pray, uh, perhaps in silence, quietly themselves. Perhaps there would be some uh, preaching, Remember Fulton Sheen giving some beautiful reflections on it during the Traore and the three hours, perhaps the Stations of the Cross, other devotions. Um, this would all be in the realm of, of popular piety and not the official liturgy of the day. But uh, even if you can't make it to church at all today, to the physical building, as I mentioned yesterday, uh, the liturgy very much, these are liturgical days 
in which we should try as much as possible to keep this, this time well, uh, to at least find some time today to pray. And so I'm, I'm blessed uh, to have all of you uh, joining me today live and, and those who will perhaps watch this video later. Uh, sadly, our, our culture, even here in the United States, which is still somewhat hospitable to the Christian faith, um, it is not a day off work for most people as it, as it would have been in, in history. Uh, so many people do not have this day off uh, to be able to participate in the middle of the day in the, the liturgy. So uh, the liturgy is allowed to be repeated in the evening, and we'll do that here, especially in uh, various languages. Um, so it is not a holy day of obligation. People often ask, well, why is that? Uh, well, partly because these times are so holy that if, if you don't you don't want to be there for Holy Thursday liturgy in the evening or certainly for the Easter Vigil, well, you don't have to be. Uh, so there's a beauty in which everyone who's at the liturgies over these three days, uh, they want to be there. And the church is normally full, packed. Everyone is there who very much wants to be there. So it's not a holy day of obligation for, for that reason, but also just because people don't have work off, uh, although it, it will be very beautiful. Uh, my experience over the years here at St. Patrick's in Kansas City has been that at three o'clock this afternoon, the church will be absolutely full for the celebration of the liturgy. So with that having been said, let's uh, let's look at the, the liturgy of this day. This is one where uh, we Catholics know that uh, the Mass is the the highest form of prayer that we we have. And so on, on this day, there there is no Mass. So uh, let's uh, kind of be clear about that from the beginning, that uh, you, you would not say today that, oh, I'm going to go to Mass, because there is no Mass. Uh, there is the rather the, the celebration of the Passion of the Lord. It's a weird, kind of strange word, celebrate uh, there, I suppose, to say on this day in which we uh, commemorate, perhaps even better a word, uh, celebration seems hardly fitting, but celebrare in, in Latin uh, doesn't mean necessarily the implied happiness, but rarely uh, to make solemn, to observe in a solemn way, perhaps is a better translation of celebrare. So the celebration of the Lord's passion. Okay, so let's say, uh, first of all, there are three parts uh, to this liturgy. And the beginning uh, is most striking. As I said last night, there is no dismissal because the liturgy doesn't end. And, and so at the beginning of the celebration of the Passion Liturgy, there is, there is really no formal beginning. Here are the, the instructions. It says, uh, on the afternoon of this day, about three o'clock, unless a later hour is chosen for pastoral reason, there takes place the celebration of the Lord's Passion, consisting of three parts, namely the Liturgy of the Word, the Adoration of the Cross, and Holy Communion. Uh, notes then in the United States, the diocesan bishop can permitted to be uh, repeated later, which we're doing here at St. Patrick's because we, we even have various language groups. Um, here's the beginning. Uh, the priest and the deacon, if a deacon is present, wearing red vestments, as for Mass, but notice it's not Mass, they go to the altar in silence and after making a reverence to the altar, prostrate themselves and pray in silence for a while. Others kneel. This is a, a very striking gesture to begin Mass. 
on this this day in which, as I said, we recognize that our, our sins put Jesus on the cross, literally on a day where we remember that we we killed God. What what can we do? <laughs> well, literally the the priests, the ministers enter in silence and then simply fall on their face and lie on the ground. If we could, we would probably throw ashes on ourselves, put on sackcloth. We don't go that far, but we we do simply come in and just fall on our face in silence. There really are no words. What what could we say at this point? And sometimes gestures are more important than words. So simply fall on the ground and pray. Then rising, as I said, there's no greeting. So the uh, the first words, notice that there, there's no there's no singing. As the priest enters, there's no there's no hymn. There's there's not even the the entrance antiphon or introit that we would normally have at mass. Just silence, absolute silence, and lying on the floor. After a brief period of prayer, the priest gets up, goes to the chair, and, and doesn't say the the normal "let us pray" or anything. There is there is simply a prayer, and it says, "O God, who by the passion of Christ." your son, our Lord, abolished the death inherited from ancient sin by every succeeding generation. Grant that just as being conformed to him, we have borne by the law of nature the image of the man of earth, so by the sanctification of grace, we may bear the image of the man of heaven through Christ our Lord. That is an incredibly theologically, typologically deep prayer. If you just hear it only at the liturgy, I think people would be lost a little bit. Even me, as I prepare to celebrate the liturgy, I've looked at that prayer this morning and had to, to pray over it a lot, not just to make sure that I I phrased the words correctly, but to make sure that when I, when I pray it as the, the priest, that I, I, I fully enter into the meaning of that. I, I think if I just read it once a year from the Missal, I would, I would not be able to pray that prayer properly recollected. I could get all the words right, but uh, I think for the people too, let's, let's just, perhaps if you've got a Missal open to that prayer, um, that if you look in your missile, there are two prayers. You can do one or the other. The one that I used is, if you're following along, is the second one. It's the one that is is in the uh, the, the missile from before the reform. So if you look at the the traditional Latin mass, that it would be the second one. But let's look at it. Oh God, so as as most all the opening prayers are colleagues do, they they address God the Father, who by the passion of Christ your Son our Lord. Here it is. He abolished the death inherited from ancient sin by every succeeding generation. All right, so that's that's a reference, of course, to the original sin, the fall, Adam and Eve. That's the ancient sin that is inherited by every succeeding generation. That's that's the one. Notice on this day when we talk about the death of Jesus, the first mention of death in the liturgy today is the death all of us inherited because of original sin. That's why this day is, is good, <laughs> because 
everything else is so bad. Death on this day is primarily our death. Death due to sin, which we inherited from Adam and Eve, every succeeding generation. On this day, the very first mention of death in the liturgy is that by the passion of Jesus, he abolished death, our death. Dying, you destroyed our death, as we hear in one part of the liturgy. That's why we can call this day good. Jesus, in dying, by his passion, he abolished death for us. Jesus died so that we don't have to die forever. Okay, so he abolished death, inherited from ancient sin by every succeeding generation. And as these opening prayers often do, it states a fact, and then it, it asks God for something, normally beginning with grant. And so here we get to the second part, grant that. So we're, we're asking for something, but then there's a little, as often is, there's some embellishment. And it says, grant that just as being conformed to him. So in other words, we are being conformed to Jesus. And we've just mentioned his, his passion. So as St. Paul reminds us in the letter of Philippians, he wants, to, he wants to share in Christ's resurrection. But in order to do that, he says that I might also learn how to share in his sufferings. And so we ask that being conformed to him, Jesus, we have borne by the law of nature the image of the man of earth. Remember back in Genesis, we are created in the image of God. Adam and Eve created in the image of God. So we are conformed to Christ by being literally in, in the image of God. So we have borne the image of the man of earth. This would be Adam. So we are, after the image type of Adam, so we are united to Adam, the first man, in his image and in his sin. So we have borne the image of the man of earth. So by the sanctification of grace, we may bear the image of the man of heaven. Jesus, the second Adam. What an incredibly a deep theological prayer filled with typology. That yes, we are, we are Adam. And so we recognize that in Adam and Eve, we share the blame for the original sin. We are under the sentence of death. But because Jesus chose to become incarnate, enfleshed, to take on our nature and image, well, we not only share the image of Adam, the man of earth, we also, by the sanctification of grace, the prayer says, we can share the image of the second Adam, the man of heaven. Beautiful play, the man of earth, the man of heaven. Adam, Jesus, and because of what Jesus did, all of us, we are both. We are both men and women of earth. But because of Jesus, we can share his image and thus be men and women of heaven and live forever. All that in that one opening prayer. Uh, so I invite you, look it up, pray over that, because that's what today is about. We want to humbly, fully enter into that image of the man of earth, corruption, corruption, original sin, deserving death. 
to some extent, we call today good only because the bad is so bad. And so we don't gloss over the bad on this day. If the good news is going to be good, then, then we have to recognize how bad the bad news is. We deserve death because of our sins. And when God came to rescue us, we killed him. That is as bad as bad can be. But because it's so bad, what Jesus did for us becomes oh so good. As we'll sing later, it's even sweet, the cross. Okay, so that's all just the, the opening. Then begins properly. I said there are, there are three parts. Um, and so the, and after that, the, the first part, that's, that's all just the, the opening. Um, and, and feel free as I'm going here, to post your your questions uh, and things. I see we have a lot of people watching. And uh, so if you're on live, this is one of the benefits of being live. Feel free to uh, post your your questions, comments, and I'll I'll see those. So the first part then, uh, part one, is the liturgy of the word. And uh, to some extent, it will begin in a a way that is is familiar to us. So uh, in the the modern Sunday Mass, there are uh, a reading from the Old Testament, a psalm, a reading from the New Testament, and then the gospel. Today, uh, the first reading is from Isaiah, the 52nd chapter, uh, the prefiguring of Jesus' death, the talking of the, the suffering servant. Second reading is from Hebrews, where it shows how, how Jesus did a, a priestly action on the cross. Uh, priests offer sacrifice often lambs and atonement for sins. Jesus then fulfills all of this by, by being both the priest and the victim. He is the one offering, and in a singular act, he is, he is also the sacrifice. He is the priest offering the sacrifice of himself, the lamb of God that definitively take away the sins of the world. And then we have the gospel and on Good Friday, the gospel is always the passion narrative from St. John. Uh, we read on um, Palm Sunday, uh, traditionally St. Matthew's Passion, and then there would be the reading of the Passion of Mark on Tuesday and Luke on uh, Wednesday of Holy Week. Uh, now we rotate those three on the Sundays of Palm Sunday, but the Good Friday Passion is always St. John. And uh, the way that this is uh, done in its fullest solemn form, is that it would be chanted, sung, by, by three deacons. Remember, the proper minister of proclaiming the gospel is a, a deacon. Uh, it is divided into three traditional parts, uh, the most solemn part being that of Christ, uh, and then two other parts, the chronista, uh, in Latin, or the it means the chronicler, the, the time, the one who times, keeps the time, uh, known in English as the narrator. Um, and then the, the third part is the, the, known in Latin as the synagogue, the, the synagogue. Uh, but it, it takes care of all the other voices, not just the, the Jewish crowds and things. So there are, there are traditionally broken down into three parts, uh, three deacons. Uh, would would chant this. And if you were to watch the Good Friday Liturgy from Rome, as I'm uh, missing right now to, to do this, but I'll, I'll catch it live, uh, catch up. Um, 
you will see three deacons come out vested as deacons and they chant the uh, St. John Passion. And uh, as we do that today, this is one of the parts that the people, obviously it's the celebration of the Passion of the Lord. So we, we read it from scripture. And I, I will point out here that although we have the, the three you know, deacons and they, they chanted in, in parts, this is not a, it is not a passion play. It is not a dramatic presentation of the death of the Lord. It is a reading of the Holy Gospel. Uh, just as at every Mass, when the Gospel is read, so much more than simply a passion play or dramatic presentation happens. We believe that the Holy Spirit is active when the Gospel is proclaimed at Mass. And, and certainly that the passion is the Gospel, and the Holy Spirit is the author of sacred scripture. So rather than a mere worldly play or dramatic uh, presentation of the passion, something much more powerful happens. The death of Jesus that is recounted in the scriptures is made present. Okay, the, Through the power of the Holy Spirit, this whole idea of time that I've been talking about, yes, uh, if you have to ask, what would it be like to be there on Good Friday 2,000 years ago? Well, something much greater than, than simply the imagination of our mind is able to happen in the sacred liturgy. The Holy Spirit who wrote the scriptures is alive and active when the scriptures are proclaimed. So allow the Holy Spirit to work as the gospel is chanted. And uh, sometimes in, in parishes, you know, there, there are not three deacons available to do this. So uh, other lay ministers can assist. Uh, the, the part of Christ always being reserved to the priest because this whole liturgy can't be done without a priest. So there's always a priest. So he always takes the part of Christ uh, if there are not three deacons available. But really in the, the reading of the Passion, uh, there uh, some kind of a tradition evolved where maybe like when people have missiles that they would uh, kind of join in at various parts, the crowd parts, that, that's not actually appropriate. Um, it's it's not uh, a dramatic presentation where, you know, the people all take the part of the crowd and you'll crucify him. Although spiritually, that's a, it's a very good thing in our minds to realize, yeah, we would not be the, the good guys, as it were, necessarily during the Passion. We would be uh, part of the, the crowd. Absolutely. We would be part of the crowd yelling, crucify him. We could. We need to be able to see ourselves as, as Pilate condemning him to death. We need to be able to see ourselves as Peter denying him, Judas betraying him, and also Mary's, John, Mary Magdalene at the foot of the cross. Sure, all that. There are times in our life when we are all those parts. It is not really appropriate during the solemn chanting of the Passion for the, the people to join in. It, it, it's, a, it's a proclamation of the gospel as, as any time at Mass. So we are, we are to listen, allow the Holy Spirit to actively work. And uh, the, the parts of the Passion are divided between, ideally, as I said, three deacons uh, or... Uh, if, if not, uh, other ministers can uh, assist. But allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you during this time. See what God has to say today. Where do you see yourself in the Passion? And yes, it's even appropriate at times to see ourselves as Jesus. Join him in those sufferings. I remember one year I was making a 30-day 
silent retreat, and uh, I was walking through the Stations of the Cross. It was a very, very difficult time in my life, and uh, I remember seeing one of the images of um, Jesus falling during that Passion, and there was this Roman soldier that was just over top of him, ready to beat him down. And I just remember thinking, like, why? Why are you so mad at him? What did he do to you? And uh, I could even see myself there in the, the person of Christ as perhaps all of us who, who suffer uh, are meant to see in Jesus' sufferings our, our own. So much as I say, yes, we are the ones who betrayed him, denied him, abandoned him, sure. But we can also, as it says in that opening prayer, we, we can bear the image of this man of heaven. And that image on Good Friday very much got beat down into the dirt and falsely accused, suffered, and died. That's us too. So you can see yourself in the part of Christ uh, as well. We're all of that uh, today. So think about that as we, we hear the passion. So the, the liturgy of the word then ends with the solemn intercessions. Now, you're familiar, of course, on, on Sundays uh, and, and, and op- optionally on weekdays that the, the intercessions or the prayer of the faithful or the universal prayer, as it's called, the, these are petitions that are, are written by you know, someone uh, to pray for the immediate needs of what might be going on. We pray for the needs of the church and the world. Uh, but on Good Friday, these intercessions are not written by, by anybody. They're actually in the, the, the missal on this day. There, there are 10 of them. And they are, they're fixed. The exact text is, is read right out of the Missal. But it's, it's done in, in a very ancient uh, way of doing this. Each of the intercessions is in three parts. And so let me explain how this happens. Uh, the first part of each solemn intercession is the deacon announcing, this is what we're going to pray for. Okay. Um, so the, for instance, the, the deacon, the first intercession is, is for the church. So the deacon chants appropriately that it it would be actually be sung in the most solemn celebration of it. The deacon chants, let us pray dearly beloved for the holy church of God, that our God and Lord be pleased to give her peace, to guard her and to unite her throughout the whole world and grant that leading our life in tranquility and quiet, we may glorify God, the Father Almighty. Okay, so that's part one of the intercession. The deacon says, let's pray for this. Then the the part that a lot of people will remember uh, from little kids uh, on because it's it's very uh, memorable because it's physical, the, the deacon then says, let us kneel. And everyone kneels and in silence, we pray for that intercession that the deacon just said, let's, let's pray for the Holy Church of God. Well, let's kneel down and let's pray. And so we do. We kneel and in silence, we pray for, in this case, the first intercession for the, the church throughout the world. We pray in silence. And then the deacon says, let us stand. So this is the part that often, especially children, remember, there's a lot of let us kneel, let us stand. So we stand. And then the priest concludes the prayer uh, with what would be similar to one of those 
opening collects. He collects together all the prayers that we were just making silently. And so for the first intercession, the priest says, Almighty ever-living God, who in Christ revealed your glory to all the nations, watch over the works of your mercy that your church spread throughout all the world may persevere with steadfast faith in confessing your name through Christ our Lord. And the people respond, amen. That is one intercession. <laughs> so to recap, there are 10 intercessions and each of them are in three parts. First part, the deacon chants, let's pray for this. Then he chants, let us kneel. And we all kneel in silence and pray. And he chants, let us stand. And we all stand. And then the priest collects together all that prayer with a sort of concluding prayer. Okay? Uh, so that is the form of each intercession. And as I said, the first one is for the church. And so we pray for the church. The, the second one is for the Pope. So we, we pray for the Pope. Third, we, we pray for all orders and degrees of the faithful. So we prayed for the whole church. Then we prayed for the Pope as, as the head of the church. Then we pray for bishops, priests, deacons, and just so that everyone's included, then we, we pray for all the faithful as well. So that takes care of all the Catholics, if you will. The first three intercessions, the, the church, the pope, bishops, priests, and deacons, and all the faithful. Then uh, we move on to those who are not Catholic. And amongst those who are not Catholic, first and foremost are the catechumens now known as the elect, those who especially are about to be baptized in, in just uh, tomorrow night as Easter begins. We pray for the catechumens. They're, notice they're, they're not Catholic. They are not part of all the faithful because to be a member of all the faithful, you have to be baptized. So they're not part of the church just yet, but they, they are joined in a special way. And so amongst those who are not Catholic, the catechumens get pride of place. So we pray for them. They are about to become Catholic. After that, continuing the list of those who are not Catholic, we pray for all other Christians throughout the world. So the fifth intercession is for the unity of Christians. It's, it's beautiful. We pray also for our brothers and sisters who believe in Christ. You know, I think sometimes we, we kind of throw around that, you know, that word, brothers and sisters. Um, it's really only able to say that in truth amongst those who are, are baptized. By our baptism, we are joined into the one body of Christ. And so truly we become God's adopted sons and daughters only through baptism. Okay, it's, it's true to say God created all people, all men and women, but we are only truly sons and daughters of God through baptism. And if sons and daughters of God, that is how we become brothers and sisters. So when you hear that intercession today, I, I hope that you can truly understand the power of baptism, that all of the baptized, those who are Catholic and those who are not Catholic, our common baptism truly makes us sons and daughters of God and therefore brothers and sisters. What a beautiful thing that is that Jesus has done in baptism, making us all one, members of his one body. So, I think sometimes we as Catholics can can think, well, we, you know, we have the fullness of the truth. We have everything that Jesus intended his church to have. And that's all true. Absolutely. And we should be incredibly grateful. 
let's not forget the great blessing that we have and that we do have some unity uh, in at least our common baptism, a belief in Jesus Christ. We celebrate with all Christians over these days. And Easter is a, a beautiful day to celebrate with all the baptized, all Christians, who we all claim this incredible story of God become man, died for our sins, and rose to new life that we could live forever. So notice uh, this intercession praise for our brothers and sisters who believe in Christ, uh, that God our Lord may be pleased as they live the truth. Notice they don't have the fullness of the truth, but they're living the truth, that God would be pleased to gather them together and keep them in his one church. We're praying for full Christian unity. So we, we pray for that. Almighty ever-living God who gather what is scattered. We recognize that our sins not only put Jesus on the cross, but created division amongst Christians, which shouldn't be there. That you gather what was scattered and you keep together what you have gathered. Look kindly on the flock of your son. Notice the flock is all Christians. Look kindly on this flock that those whom one baptism has consecrated may be joined together by integrity of the faith and united in the bond of charity through Christ our Lord. A beautiful prayer for Christian unity. So we certainly pray that as we celebrate these days of what Jesus did for us, we could be united as, as Christians and one day perfectly united visibly in his one church. Okay, so continuing amongst those who are not Catholic. We had the catechumens, we had other Christians. Now we get to those who are not Christian. And here is one of the most um, important, beautiful, and, and oftentimes, I suppose, misunderstood intercessions. We, we pray, first of all, amongst those who are not Christian, we pray, first of all, for the Jewish people. Now, again, I said, as, as we especially read the passion of, of John, there's lots of references to the Jews did this, or for fear of the Jews, or you know, the Jews gathered. Again, that's us, okay? That, that's all of us in the... the Count of the Passion. We are the, the Jews condemning him to death. We are, there, there are no Catholics yet exactly at this point. There's only what God did for thousands of years in forming his faithful people. Christianity, the coming of Je Jesus is the Messiah promised of, of all time to God's chosen people. To, to be Christian is to be Jewish, to be everything that Judaism was meant to prefigure, be a type of, it's not abolished. Christianity is not something new. It is Judaism come to full fulfillment. And so we, we pray amongst all those who don't believe in Christ, Jews, the Jewish people get special reference because they are so special to God and, and to us as Christians, especially as Catholics. Uh, so these, I never understood growing up why people would question that like, oh, well, the Jews killed Jesus. And so some that's that's all. That's the faithful who were there. That's us. Um, I killed Jesus. You killed Jesus. So let there be no question about that. However, listen to the intercession. Then let us pray also for the Jewish people, to whom the Lord our God spoke first. We we do sometimes see the Jewish people as our, our elder brothers and sisters in the faith, if you will. God first spoke them, the ones who God spoke first, that he may grant them to advance in love of his name and faithfulness to his covenant. Very interesting there. We, we say that God does not abolish his covenant or promises. They continue to try to live the covenant. And we, we do pray then 
in the collect, Almighty Ever-Living God, who bestowed your promises on Abraham and his descendants, graciously hear the prayers of your church. Hear this now. That the people you first made your own may attain the fullness of redemption through Christ our Lord. So we recognize that God made a covenant, made a promise with Abraham, the Jewish people. He, he is faithful to that covenant. He, he, he will continue to try to draw all to his church. And we pray that they may attain the fullness of redemption. That is the, the modern reading of this petition. In, in former days, there was language that, that spoke of the unfaithful, or in Latin, perfidious Jews. That, that language is, is taken out now. But even in the Latin Mass, we still pray that uh, in the language of scriptures, that there is a, a as it were, a veil that veils uh, the, the Jewish people much as they, they live out, that the covenant, be, it, it's as if um, they, they don't know that the Messiah has, in fact, come. I mean, how sad that uh, the whole point of God's chosen people were to prepare for the definitive coming of the Messiah. And so there is a, an incompleteness of the Jewish position. Uh, they're they're trying the best they can to live out faithfully this covenant, not knowing <laughs> that Jesus has come. Now we know that uh, that's that's no fault of their own, shall we say? We, we they're not condemned because of this. They're not even sinning because of this. But we do pray that they will certainly recognize Jesus when He comes again. And and many of the Jewish people <laughs> do become Christian. Uh, many Jews make great converts to Christianity because it's it's not so much a conversion as it is a recognition of the Messiah I'm waiting for has come and I want to know him. Um, so enough enough about the, the prayer for the Jews, but see, amongst those who do not believe in Jesus, Jews get pride of place, uh, singled out for good. Uh, so then we have um, uh, those who do not believe in Christ. And, and so this would include, uh, you know, Muslims, Hindus, Sikhs, Buddhists. We, we pray for them because they believe in God. And to some extent, that is true. They believe in the one true God. And so that unites us in, in some way. So we pray for those who do not believe in Christ, but nonetheless believe in God. Then the eighth one, we pray for those who do not even believe in God, or at least do not acknowledge God, as we say. Um, let's pray for those who do not acknowledge God. And, you know, today that's it's becoming a lot of people. And I, I love in these, these prayers, though, um, we pray that, that they might follow what is right in sincerity of heart. So we recognize that God has put his imprint, even those who don't believe in God, well, he created them, he believes in them, uh, and he put his law right in their hearts. So if they, even if people who say they don't believe in God, if they're trying to follow the truth, well, well, God is the truth. He, he made the truth. If, if you are able to look at nature and, and find the laws of nature— eventually you're going to find nature's God, the one who created all those laws and created nature itself. So good. You, you, don't, you don't acknowledge God. You don't, you're not sure if you're God, agnostics. Okay. Follow the truth. And we can pray. What do we do for people who even reject God, sometimes violently in our society today? Okay, well, keep asking questions. Keep following the truth. You'll, you'll find God. So we can pray for them today. The, uh, the collect at the end of this... I, Get this, Almighty Ever-Living God, who created all people, as I just said, to seek you always by desiring you. If you desire goodness, truth, beauty, you desire God, even if you don't know it. Um, in finding you, 
may come to rest. I've never seen people so evangelical as atheists. I, I've got friends who, if I post anything religious online, they, they will immediately like try to be the world's greatest evangelist for science, as, as if science disproves religion. That's a whole nother thing. Um, but I like this little bit that we pray that they would come to rest. I've never seen so many people so just worked into a frenzy uh, about, oh no, someone someone posted something religious. I've, I've got to, you know, put my my atheist spin on it and, and try to debunk religion with everything I've got. They just seem tired to me. <laughs> so not at peace. Uh, I, I don't, sometimes I just like, I'm done. I don't have to get into those comment wars because I'm a, what, am I going to convince someone on Facebook uh, to give their life to, to Jesus and find God? Probably not. Uh, I, I, I engage in that forum as I'm doing right now, obviously, uh, because there is a sense in which well, let's, let's be out there. Let's propose the faith. Sure. But to ultimately I, I can rest. I've got peace because I, I know the truth of God. So we pray that they may come to rest <laughs> and that despite every harmful obstacle, get this faithful Christians, the harmful obstacle that's talked about here is us. Why are so many people atheists or don't believe in Christianity or, or don't like the Catholic Church? Okay, there, there's baggage, certainly, but oftentimes it's harmful obstacles, and those obstacles are us. The, sometimes the worst gospel people ever read are Christians. I don't, you know, we're supposed to be this intimate communion of people who love one another. The, the early Christians, like, see how they love one another, the pagans said. Can we really say that that's so obvious and attractive today in how we live the faith? <laughs> I don't know. So let's pray for these harmful obstacles, us, to be taken away so that atheists might might be more inclined to believe in a God of love and a, a church of love if we actually acted that way. Um, so our sins are a harmful obstacle. <laughs> that's why sometimes people are atheists. Um, so despite every harmful obstacle— all may recognize the signs of your fatherly love and the witness of the good works done by those who believe in you. Number one reason people often become Christian, they see how we love each other, how Mother Teresa, you can't look at Mother Teresa and her care of the poor and not ask, why does she do that? Why did she do that? She loved Jesus. She saw Jesus. And if you see the beautiful, powerful example of people who love God and love Jesus, now you might say, I want to be part of that. Almost always, that's part of the story of people who are converting, becoming Christian. So let's let's show the example of our good works so that in gladness, they can come to confess you, the one true God, father of our human race. Beautiful. All right, so that's, that's uh, the first eight. So notice, uh, recap, progression, we pray for Catholics. So we pray for the whole church, we pray for the Pope, then we pray for bishops, priests, deacons, all the faithful. Then we pray for those who are not Catholic. So first of all, catechumens then all of our Christian brothers and sisters in baptism. Then we pray for those who do not believe in Christ, but believe in God. And then we get down to, all the way down to atheists, to those who don't even believe in God. So you can see the progression. Then we pray for politicians. You can't make this up. It's in there. Right after we get through non-Christians, God-fearing but not Christian, atheists, right after the atheists come politicians. Now, I know many good politicians, so it's just that, uh, that this is number nine. This is petition number nine. So we pray for those in public office. Okay, and we should pray for them. Um, and then finally, the 10th petition, we, we pray for those in any tribulation. And certainly we can call to mind this year, the war in Ukraine, uh, 
Myanmar, we've got a community from Burma here, continues to be strife, South America, Central America. Think of all that. Uh, we pray that God would banish disease. Lots of people are sick, suffering. We have many people we can think of there. Drive out hunger, unlock prisons, loosen fetters, granting travelers safety, pilgrims return, health to the sick, and salvation to the dying. That's it. Those are the the 10 petitions. And that 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 ends the liturgy of the word, which is the the first part. I spend a little bit of time on that here because uh, that's maybe part we don't we don't think about. It can kind of fly by with all the let us stand, let us kneel. Um, you know, I, I encourage you to really pray through that. When the deacon chants the petition, okay, now you know what they are. You know ahead of time, uh, at least in that that brief moment where we're kneeling, really pray uh, for that and and really desire what the the whole church desires today. Everywhere throughout the world, we're praying these 10 things. Um, surely God will hear that in light of what Jesus did for us on this day. We, we pray these. These are the 10 things we most want to pray for. In light of Jesus' death on the cross, let's pray for this. Okay? So I spent a little bit of time on the first part. The second part of this liturgy is, is the one that people probably go away most remembering, and that is the adoration of, of the Holy Cross. Um, this is a tradition that actually goes back probably maybe at least to the fourth century. In, in the fourth century, a, a Roman noblewoman named Egeria, she made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem during Holy Week. And blessed for us, she wrote a diary. So she wrote down, today I went and did this, and this is what the Christians in Jerusalem did. And so on Good Friday, we have her, her journal entries where she describes them doing exactly what we're doing today. So thousands of years, the church has been doing this, uh, almost 2,000 years. Uh, and Egeria writes that on Good Friday, uh, because of Queen Helen, the mother of Constantine, when she went to Jerusalem, she actually discovered the actual cross on which Jesus died. So we have the celebration of the finding of the true cross, the exaltation of the cross. Um, so in Jerusalem, when Egeria went there in the fourth century, they they had a, a large piece of the wood of the actual cross on which Jesus hung. And so they would bring that out on Good Friday, place it on a table, and allow the faithful to come up and kiss it and and reverence the, the actual wood of the true cross. Uh, <laughs> interestingly, her diary actually says that they had to station deacons on, on each end because people, uh, to prevent profanation, it says, because people were kissing the cross and they would actually like take a bite so that they could steal uh, a piece of the true cross. So a little bit of history there. Um, so people would come forward and, and venerate the wood of the cross. So that, that's why in, in our celebration of Good Friday, um, there is uh, often when it mentions a cross in liturgy, I will say this, that almost always crux in, in Latin means a, a crucifix. So a, a cross on which there's an image of Christ crucified. Such a cross, a crucifix, is required for Mass, for instance. Um, the instructions for Good Friday do not explicitly require an image of, of Christ on the cross. Uh, I would say probably most places there is. I remember very much um, from my time growing up, it, it was striking to come forward and, and kiss uh, the, the feet of Jesus often on the, the crucifix. But the reason why it's not required that there be a, a crucifix is to 
reflect this ancient tradition that in Rome, or in, in uh, Jerusalem rather, it was actually the true cross, the wood of the true cross. So there is reference in the liturgy today, the showing of the cross, it refers not to Christ on the cross, but to the wood of the cross. So when the cross is brought out, there, there are two different ways that this can be done. One, that the cross is processed to the church. Uh, and the other option is to bring the cross out from the sacristy to the sanctuary, veiled with a violet veil, and that it is gradually unveiled. And so each, it's done in either three unveilings or three stops along the way of the procession. But each time, there's, there's a very important chant. The chant in English is, Behold the wood of the cross, on which hung the salvation of the world. And then all the people chant, Come, let us adore. And everyone kneels and adores the, the cross. And this is repeated three times. Uh, this, Behold the wood, Ece lignum crucis, reminds us of this day. We don't have, probably in most of our churches, a relic of the true cross. But symbolically, at least, the, the cross that we do use, it becomes such a powerful symbol that we would actually sing, come, let us adore. But we, we only adore God. But on this day, it becomes such a powerful symbol that we can actually sing, come, let us adore. And as we'll see, we even genuflect to this cross. That's how powerful this symbol of our salvation is. Behold the wood of the cross on which hung the salvation of the world. Come, let us adore. And we do that three times, unveiling the cross, kneeling, adoring. And then the faithful are invited to come up and venerate or adore the cross. Uh, the instructions for the priest, the priest goes first alone, it says, and he removes his, his chasuble, his, his vestments, sets that all aside. It, in the, the restored modern liturgy, it even says removing his shoes. Uh, what an act of humility. The, the priest would remove his fancy vestments, even his shoes, and go forward and genuflect to the cross, kiss the cross, and then all the faithful are invited to come up and do that. So yeah, just as we would recognize our part in this, that we ultimately put Jesus to death, sure, we, we also recognize that we can come and kiss. And not the, the kiss of Judas in this case, but how beautiful that we would kiss the cross. And while this is done, there, the music, the, the chant, is it, it's, it's in the missal. So sometimes maybe we'll sing a different song, and I hope that there's, you know, appropriate one, maybe perhaps like the, the spiritual, were you there? But beyond that, I bring your attention to what you, you might not even hear, because sometimes it's, it just gets skipped, but the music, the chants that are actually in the missal, hear this. So here's the first one. We adore your cross, O Lord. We praise and glorify your holy resurrection, for behold, because of the wood of a tree, Joy has come to the whole world. What a beautiful chant. And then Psalm 67, 66 in the Vulgate is chanted, May God have mercy on us and bless us. May he let his face shed his light upon us and have mercy on us. So that's the, the first chant. Second chant. It's known collectively as the reproaches. 
because it's it's sung in the voice of God reproaching us. And so the refrain of all this is, my people, what have I done to you? Or how have I grieved you? Answer me. And it sings, because I led you out of the land of Egypt, you have prepared a cross for your Savior. Here, the, the reproach and all this. And then what, what can we sing? We actually keep this in the, the Greek. Hagios Hotheos. Holy is God. Hagios Iskiros. Holy and mighty. Hagios Athanatos. Eleisanimas. Holy and immortal one. Have mercy on us. Yeah, what, what, what can be our response? My people, what have I done to you? How have I grieved you? Answer me. How? What, what can we answer? We just bow before God. You are holy. You are mighty. You are undying. Have, have mercy on us. Best, best response we could make. Uh, and then this, this goes on. Because I, I led you th- through the desert for 40 years. I fed you with manna. I brought you into a land of, of plenty. And you have prepared a cross for your Savior. Holy are you, God. Holy immortal. Holy undying. Have mercy on us. What more should I have done for you that I have not done? Indeed, I, I planted you as my most beautiful choice vine. And you have turned very bitter for me. For in my thirst, you gave me vinegar to drink. And with a lance, you pierced your Savior's side. My people, what have I done to you? How have I grieved you? Answer me. Holy God, holy mighty, holy immortal one, have mercy on us. And then it, it it goes on, crowning all the things God has done for us and what we did in response, demanding over and over, my people, what have, what have I done to you? How have I grieved you? Answer me. We have, we have no answer except to bow before God and beg for his mercy. Those are collectively known as the, the reproaches. The third music during the adoration is, is a hymn. Uh, not too many times we have a hymn actually in the missal, uh, but this one is, it's the music I was playing right before we went live, if you were listening, uh, Crux Fidelis, Faithful Cross. Here, here just, just the refrain of this. Faithful cross, the saints rely on, noble tree beyond compare. Never was there such a scion, never leaf or flower so rare. Sweet the timber, sweet the iron, sweet the burden that they bear. Now here we get the full good of of Good Friday. We can even sing of the sweet Timber, the sweet iron, the nails that pierced Jesus' hands. Because of the salvation that they won for us, we can even call them sweet, 
sweet the timber, sweet the iron, sweet the burden that they bear. Sing my tongue in exultation of our banner and device. Make a solemn proclamation of a triumph and its price. How the Savior of creation conquered by his sacrifice. Faithful cross the saints rely on. Noble tree beyond compare. Never was there such a scion. Never leaf or flower so rare. One of my, my favorite memories of my, my time in Washington at the National Shrine is the choir chanting this in a beautiful setting over and over. That's the music I was playing as we, we came on. Um, it ends, wisdom, power, adoration to the Blessed Trinity for redemption and salvation through the Paschal Mystery, now and every generation and for all eternity. Amen. For the veneration, the, the cross is, is left with lighted candles and uh, it's even to be left there after the liturgy and through Holy Saturday that people could come and continue to venerate. That's the, the second part, the, um, the adoration or veneration of the cross. Point out on this day too, just uh, something that might seem a, a little bit out of character perhaps that a collection is taken up, but here's an important thing. The collection that's taken up on Good Friday is, is for the needs of the church in the Holy Land. I mentioned Egeria who went to Jerusalem in the fourth century. I'm a Knight of the Holy Sepulchre myself. And while we don't defend militarily the Holy Sepulchre to this day, we do defend uh, the Christians in the Holy Land through supporting them. O only about 1% of the whole population is, is Christian now left in the Holy Land. And it's very difficult. So the collection on this day is taken up for that. Then finally, the, the third part um, is Holy Communion. I mentioned last night uh, the tabernacle is empty when you enter today. The, the Eucharist that was consecrated last night will be brought out now uh, so that everyone can receive Holy Communion. Prior to the uh, the 1955 reforms that I've mentioned, uh, this Mass was called the Mass of the Priests Sanctified. I mentioned that there's no Mass today because there's not the, the consecration. So it used to be called the Mass of the Priests Sanctified because the, the Eucharist that had been consecrated the, the night before, only a large host was brought out and only the priest received uh, communion. Um, now ev everyone is able to receive Holy Communion. So we consecrated the Holy Thursday Mass, enough Eucharist so that everyone can receive not only at Holy Thursday, but everyone can receive communion again on this day. Um, it, is, it is interesting on this day where there is no Mass. We know that the Mass in the consecration of the Eucharist, it makes present the death of Jesus. So there is a sense in which we don't celebrate Mass as a way of, of, of fasting uh, from the most prized possession we have, the Mass that, that makes Christ present in the Eucharist. But there is a sense in which the, the passion of Jesus is so vividly present through the, the reading of the passion and especially in the, the adoration of the cross that um, we are able to, to fully join in that by receiving the, the body of the Lord in the most blessed sacrament of the Holy Eucharist. Uh, so everyone gets to do that uh, now. And so as you receive the Eucharist, just be mindful that um, we, we, we certainly say, well, the Eucharist is God, it's Jesus, and truly it is. But it is the body of Christ. And today, think of, think of everything that happened to that body in history for us. Yes, because of the resurrection and what Jesus did, sweet the timber, sweet the iron, but it was not, it was not so sweet for Jesus 2,000 years ago. 
his body was betrayed, kissed by a traitor, handed over, abused, beaten, scourged, crowned with thorns, beaten beyond all recognition, and then ultimately carried a cross up Calvary. That body was beaten unrecognizable by the time he even got to Calvary. And then that body of Christ had nails driven through it, a lance piercing his side, and was laid in a, a tomb. That is the body of Christ that will be presented to you today, now risen and glorified, surely. But when you hear the priest, the minister say to you today, handing you Holy Communion, the body of Christ, you might think of just how much that, that body suffered for you today so that you could live forever and put your hand out to take the fruit of this tree of life, the cross, which conquers the, the tree in the garden in which Adam and Eve reached out to take the forbidden fruit. Today, because of what Jesus did, we are able to receive the fruit of the tree of life, the body of Christ. So after communion, the Eucharist is, is taken back to the place of repose in the, the sacristy. The tabernacle remains empty. And as I said, the, this liturgy doesn't end. Uh, there is no dismissal, just like there wasn't last night, and there was no greeting at the beginning of this Mass. The, the Triduum liturgy continues, even though we might leave the building. Uh, so there's simply a, a prayer over the people to end this liturgy. Um, and then all depart in, in silence. And remember I mentioned, normally we only genuflect to God in the Eucharist. We only adore God. Uh, the, the prayer of the people concludes, Almighty ever-living God, who has restored us to life by the blessed death and resurrection of your Christ, preserve in us the work of your mercy, that partaking of this mystery, we may have a life unceasingly devoted to you. Through Christ our Lord. Then he prays, May abundant blessing, O Lord, we pray, descend upon your people who have honored the death of your Son in the hope of their resurrection. May pardon come, comfort be given, holy faith increase, and everlasting redemption be made secure through Christ our Lord. And then it says, And all after genuflecting to the cross depart in silence. After the celebration, the altar is stripped, but the cross remains on the altar with the two or four candlesticks. And that's how we leave. Silence and the cross. But a symbol of hope and life. Notice that closing prayer. It prays that what we have done today in commemorating the Lord's passion, it would preserve in us God's mercy and, and lead us to continue now to, to live in a way worthy of what Jesus did for us on this day. I pray that uh, this little reflection and liturgical uh, explanations, as it were, today would, would help you, uh, especially if you're going to participate in the liturgy today at three o'clock or, or whenever it might be, that uh, this would, would help you to more fruitfully uh, participate in, in the liturgy today. Uh, and if you're, you're not able, uh, that um, 
my reflections here might might help you to honor this day when, whenever you you might be able to watch this video. I, I thank those who have joined us live uh, and have, have uh, sat through this. Um, I pray that today's celebration would bring all of the church uh, awareness of God's mercy, especially for those on the peripheries, as Pope Francis always tells us, those who most need uh, the mercy of what Jesus did for us today, that through our celebration of the liturgy, uh, we might truly recognize that if we if we live out this day, that we live in a way that we want to be with Jesus, with him forever in heaven, that uh, we, would, we would then live in a way that we could desire that and ultimately have it. And if we do that, then we can certainly have good cause to realize that on this day, in which the worst thing in the history of the world happened, that gained us the prize of eternal life. So we can indeed call this day good. God bless you.